0: So, we're going to go ahead and start as as those guys finish collecting this morning's offering. um, We're going to go ahead and jump right in. And one of the things that I think you probably are aware of uh, in the world that we live in is that um, there are a lot of avenues for people to tell you true things. There are a lot of platforms. There are a lot of stages, So I want you to think about this for a second. You don't have to say anything, but think in your head, what is your favorite avenue to get new information? Some of you are all in on podcasts. You are listening to podcasts all the time. That's all you do. Some of you love to read blogs. Some of you, um, you are YouTube fanatics, which I get that one, right? Because when I don't know how to do something, if I watch a YouTube video, I still don't know how to do it. But... I should because I've just watched a YouTube video on it and showed me how to do it. What's your favorite way to get information? Do you read books? We all have, whether we know it or not, maybe it's the news. You know, some of you really like CNN. Some of you really like Fox. Right? Some, of, some of you, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's your teachers at school or your professors, something. Some of you, or all of us, have this idea where, where we, we want to absorb information. And some of you might think you're not engaged in that, but you are. You're picking up information, whether it's just the TV shows that you watch and the things that you engage in or what you choose to read. What's happening is this. Everybody is continually being, and the word we use is simple. Everyone is continually being Discipled. We are all being discipled. Here's the problem most of us don't realize that we're being discipled. See, every single one of you, every person that lives, every person that participates in this world that we live in is being discipled. We are all actively being discipled in one way or another. The problem is, oftentimes, we think we're not. We think that, that we are kind of living in a bubble in isolation and that we don't accept ideas or we let them in or we keep them out and we do that actively but, because we just aren't aware of how this works. But most of what we believe, we believe it because we've been discipled to believe it. That's why it's so important, and we're going to get back into Scripture here into 2 Timothy, um, it's, it's why it's so important that we choose who we allow to disciple us very, very well. And we have to choose who we allow to disciple us very, very well because in the absence of good discipleship, bad discipleship will happen. We've used this analogy before, but you can think of it like you're in a canoe or a kayak. I don't do either one of those they feel a little tenuous to me. You get in and they wobble and they do this, right? I don't like it. I feel like I'm going to tip. And so what I do when I get in a canoe, actually just most recently we kayaked. And when I say most recently, it was a calendar year ago. But it's still fresh in my mind because it was awful. But we got in this thing and listen, all of this fitting in that little opening. I'm going to tell you this. I got in there, but Trust me when I tell you that the thought crossed my mind hey, if this tips over, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to get out. Like, you know, my kids are in, they're like, yeah, no problem. Tips over, I just swim away. I'm like, well, I'm wedged in this, it is what it is. So I was very careful, and I didn't like to paddle. I thought to myself, I'm in here, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna set the paddle on top. And I'm just going to be here and be very still. That way I won't tip. And I thought, it'll be great. I'll stay right here. Everybody else will go paddle around and do their thing. And then when they're done, they'll come back and I'll be here, safe. And then we can get out and go in. The problem is, as soon as I put the paddle up, something weird happened. Even though I wasn't actively engaged in the moving of the kayak. And that, that thing went a lot of places I didn't want it to go. Because that's how life works. You might think, you know what? In this season of my life or at this time of my life, I'm not going to actively engage in discipleship. I'm just going to put my my paddle up. I'm going to put my oar up, and I'm just going to sit here for a minute. But I promise you, if you are not actively engaging in moving where you want to go, then the current is going to move you somewhere else. And you are going to be in a place where you didn't want to be. And if you're not paying attention, you won't even know how you got there. Because that's how Satan disciples. Satan uses the world that you live in when you are not actively engaged to move you to a place where you didn't even realize you got there. All of a sudden, this is now just normal. All of a sudden, this is just the way that it's supposed to be. You didn't realize that you were being taught all along, slow and steady, every step of the way, every conversation, every book, every TV show, every blog, every podcast. If you weren't actively engaged here, everything that was happening led you to this point where now all of a sudden this is just what you accept and believe as normal and real, and that's just the way that it's supposed to be. And what I'm telling you is that that's that's the enemy working. Okay, and so my challenge for you this morning as we get into this text, as we finish up chapter three, my challenge for you this morning is to choose wisely, to make a conscious decision to turn your eyes to Jesus so that you are choosing active, intentional discipleship rather than just go with the flow and see where the current takes me ease of culture. And by the way, you should have learned this by now, listening to me, reading scripture, understanding the Christian life is this. If it's easy to get there, it's probably not where you wanted to be. If it's where the natural movement takes you and it's easy to get there, it is not where you wanted to be. It's the wrong way. Okay. And so we're going to dig into this here. Um, and and we're going to start, um, with a reminder, last week we talked in the first half of chapter 3, we're still in 2 Timothy, we've got a few weeks left, we, we finished up in the first, uh, the first half of chapter 3, where uh, Paul warned Timothy that in the last days, and by the way, we're in the last days, this is the last days, not because the world's going to end tomorrow, but because in, in the, the Christian calendar, last days is Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, Jesus returns. Okay, so any time between Holy Spirit coming in Acts, uh, the early uh, church, Acts 2, and Jesus returning is called the last days. We're in the last days, and Paul says, look, in the last days, it's going to get bad because here's what's going to happen. People are going to love themselves, and they're going to love pleasure, and they're going to love easy, and they're going to love accolades of other people, and they're going to love pride, and they're going to love being puffed up. They're going to love all of this stuff more than they love God. And so therefore, you're going to have a wave of wrongness that's going to hit the church. And, and we get into the text today, and Paul says, but not you, Timothy. Not you. I've taught you. I've showed you. I've instructed you. I've poured myself out for you. Remember, this is, this is Paul's last will and testament. He has told Timothy, I am dying here. I am being poured out like a drink offering. There is nothing left. I am about finished. I have run the race. We talk about this next week as I wrap up my part of this series, and then Vince will finish the whole thing off with the very end of chapter 4. But, but next week, Paul will tell us, look, I have poured myself completely out. I am done. I've run the, good, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I'm finished. I've got nothing left. And so at the end of his life, Paul is saying to Timothy, I have showed you, I have poured my life out showing you. And so here's what he said with confidence. He says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Okay. And so here's just this little fact that I need you to know. Okay. And you can argue with me in your head. Um, and you can, you can, you can, Uh, I mean, don't physically get up and stomp around, but in your head, you can stomp around and you can have um, an argument. But eventually, you and I both know that we're gonna agree on this because if you stop and think, this is the way it works out. You are following somebody. You're following somebody. You are being discipled in some way. You're following somebody. And so Paul says to Timothy, says to the church in Corinth, he says to every Christian, hey, 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 you're following somebody. So listen here, listen you can get this. This is kind of like I would do with my kids. I'm like, like you know, grab their, their cheeks and look at me. You're following somebody. Follow me. And I can say that with confidence, and it's not boastful, and it's not arrogant, and it's not prideful. Paul could say, follow me. Why? Because I am following Christ. See, and this is the choice that we're all eventually going to have to make, is who are you going to follow? and how seriously you're going to take this. It's what the author Hebrew tells us. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that great cloud of witnesses are the saints of old. In Hebrews 11, uh, the author pours out like this litany of examples of all of these people, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, uh, and and then he goes in, Samson and David and um, Saul, and he kind of lays out all of these saints of old, and he says, They're all watching. So since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, all of these great examples strip off every weight that slows you down. Strip off every sin that hinders, that trips you up, and run with endurance the race that God set before us. And you do that by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so here's what happens. The author of Hebrews says the same thing. Paul says, follow my example because I'm following Christ. And the author of Hebrews says, all of the biblical examples, all of the biblical models, look at them. Keep your eyes focused on them. in light of the fact that they are with you and that they have led the way. Shed off the sin that entangles, that trips you up, that keeps you stuck, and run with endurance the race that's marked out for you. And you do that by looking at Jesus Okay, so as we get into the text today, we're going to understand this. When Paul says, man, follow my lead, what he's really saying is, you have to follow Jesus. Because Paul is going to tell us, and I'm going to tell you this now and I'm going to tell you again later when he says it, but Paul is going to say this, I am a trustworthy teacher, not because of how compelling I am. Paul says, I am a trustworthy teacher, not because of the fancy words that I can use. Paul says, I'm a trustworthy teacher, not because I can make you laugh at the right time and I can make you cry at the right time. Paul says, I'm a trustworthy teacher, not because of how compelling I am, but I'm a trustworthy teacher because I teach you from the word of God. And some of us need to get our heads wrapped around this because we are so in on compelling teaching that we forget the most important thing is whether or not the compelling teaching is rooted in truth. And so Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." All right, you can go ahead and jump in here. We're going to be uh, starting in um, in Second Timothy chapter three ten. You turn there as I tell you this. One last thing. Um, today is kind of a rubber meets the road in the text that we've been working through. Um, Timothy uh, or Paul has been instructing Timothy, and he's been building up to a point. Uh, you know, he's been telling him all along, hey, be careful about this. This is what it's going to look like. Be careful. Do this, not this. Be, be mindful of, of what's happening in the last days. And we get to this point, and he has kind of been building to this moment where he's going to say very clearly, it's time for you to decide. And because he says that in a way to, to, to Timothy, as he writes this, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to say it to you, And if we are meeting for the very first time, if you are a guest here today and we've never met before, then you'll forgive my bluntness, okay? Um, I would say you picked a good Sunday because this is a question that needs to be answered, but it's rather blunt considering we've just met. If I've had the opportunity to know you for a little longer, then um, here you go. At some point, we all have to decide How important Christ is to us. And so here's my question How important is Jesus to you? How important is following Jesus? We either will fight for truth or we'll let it go. We'll either dig in or we'll float along. You will either make the active decision to paddle against the current and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and go towards him against the grain, where it hurts and where it's hard and where it's difficult, but where ultimately there is real joy and purpose in life found, or you'll just float along. But the point Paul makes to Timothy and and the point I want to make to you is there is no avenue here where you get to, where you get to have it both ways. And that's what some of you have tried and are trying really hard to do. I mean, if we're just going to be bluntly honest, some of you are trying really hard to have it both ways. If you are really honest you're trying to live a life that says oh yeah christ is important to me but if i put your actions up against scripture we would see that you're really living a life that says christ isn't important to me you're trying to have it both ways and what happens is we we want to say that we're just trying to be balanced we're just trying to be you know what it is you're you're afraid of being a jesus freak I mean, honestly, if we're really being honest, some of you are just afraid of being a Jesus freak. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that lady. It's weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. But going against the current is weird. And so you all are in a position where you must decide. What are you doing? Are you in or are you out? Because if we keep playing the fence, then we've kind of already decided. If you've got one foot in and one foot out, If you just think, you know what? No, I'm just going to show up on Sunday mornings and I'm just going to float along and it's going to be fine. You are going the wrong direction. There is no way around it. And this is what Paul is trying to instruct Timothy and trying to encourage Timothy. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And there is nothing in Paul's life that is halfway. He is all in. He has made a conscious decision to be all in on the gospel. I've been so impressed with some of you as I've gotten to know you over the last uh, four years. But, but as, I, as I take stock of, of and, and it, I'm not just making up stories, it's you're the ones that will tell me this, uh, of where you were when you came to Christ or, or when I met you and, and, and kind of being halfway. But, but then as circumstances in life um, happen, as things happen, as you start to develop where you've decided, you know what? I can't be halfway. I have to be all in. And unfortunately, Some people, when they get to the realization that they have to be all in with Jesus or it's fake, they walk away. We've had those people too, where they realize I'm either all in with Jesus or it's not worth it. Then they come up to the decision, you know what? I don't want it. And they walk away. And it's heartbreaking. It's sad. But there's some of you, some of you here, and you know who you are, where you've gotten to this decision. You've said, you know what? I need to be all in and they have made a decision to be all in. They've put their eyes on Jesus. They've fixed their eyes on the author and perfecter of their faith. And they have sold out for him, which means the way they spend their money is different. The way they spend their time is different. The way they keep their company is different. All of it is different because they've said, I'm all in on Jesus. And it has such incredible value. And now their lives are making a di- difference, not just for them, but for the people that they have around them, for the people they work with, for the neighbors that they have, because when you're all in, it makes a difference. And so this is Paul's admonishment to Timothy. So we're going to jump in uh, in verse 10, and we'll work through this here. And he says, but you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Uh, and so, and then he, he finishes in 11 with a couple other things. But in these two verses, he's going to tell us nine specific things. Okay. Nine specific things that are going to come out that we're going to deal with here pretty quickly. Um, and, um, as we see those, I want to encourage you. What Paul is saying to Timothy is learn from me because you know me and you know what my life is about. So, imitate me, because I'm imitating Christ, and as you fix your eyes on me, have confidence that you are fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, and this is going to be good, and so here's what he says. He says, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach, and he starts with teach. Now, listen to me. I want to tell you this clearly, okay? When Paul says, you know what I teach, okay, Paul is not just talking about classroom lectures. Parents, you get this, right? you get that you can tell your kids things or you can teach your kids things. Like I tell my kids a lot of things, right? But when I'm teaching my kids something, I'm with them, I'm showing them, I am, I am actively engaging with them. Paul is not saying, look, Timothy, I have lectured you really, really well. Paul's saying, man, you, you know what I teach you know what I'm about. And parents, if you're here as a parent, I've told you this before, but I can't stress it enough. If you're here as a parent, even if your kids are old and, and, and out of the house, this is something you need to know, and this is something you need to deal with. Um, I, your kids, if they grow up in the church, they are always going to know what I think. They're going to always know what I teach. You know, if they're downstairs, they're going to know what Vince teaches and believes. But your kids need to know what you believe. They've got to know what you think and what you believe. They've got to know what you think about heaven. Is it real? I mean, they know I think it's real. They know I think hell is real and tragic. But they need to know what you think and believe. They need to know what you think about sin and evil and wrong. They need to know what you think about choosing to do something that's good or choosing to do something that's compromised. They need to know how you view that. Because it's one thing to say, hey, you know what? I've taken you to church your whole life. It's another thing to say, man, you know what I teach. You know what's in my core. And that's why he falls it up with, man, you, you know what I teach. But, but here's the other thing. You know how I live. You know what I teach. And you know how I live. And the implication here is, guess what? They match up. You know, we've all been in scenarios where we have um, we've had somebody hypocritically telling us something. Do this, do this. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go do this. But you better. You know what? There there is a there there is a, an example in my house growing up, and my parents are completely different now than they used to be. So I'll, I'll give you that. Um, and they know this. We've talked about this. It's not like. Um, I'm telling on them or anything, but man, my parents used use language growing up, my dad, especially, I mean, we were little and the language was bad. I learned a lot of words, right? But when I used them, I would get in trouble. So my parents would say things like, those aren't words you can use, but you're using them all the time. And so we would get that, you know what? Do as I say, not as I do. It's just a silly example, but, but that's what they would say all the time. They would say, you know what? You can't do this, but I'm doing it. But trust me, I know better. But if you knew better, then why are you doing it? And so what Paul's saying here is, look, you know not only what I teach, but you know how I live. And you know that my actions line up with my teachings and that I live The same way I'm asking you to live. This is a matter of integrity. What Paul is saying here is, is, look, Timothy, you know that it's one thing to know these true things. It is another thing to live them out in your life. It is one thing to be able to say, yeah, I know what the Bible says about all of this. It is a complete other thing to say, it matters so much to me and I choose Jesus that this is the way that I then will live. And if you won't do that, then there's a problem and there's a disconnect and something doesn't make sense. But Paul says, no, no, you know, man. And this, this, when he says this, this is real discipleship. That's what he's talking about, man. You know, there's that word for there, diatribo. Um, You know, it's, it's a word that gets talked about quite a bit. Um, it, It, what it means is to rub off on. That's what real discipleship is to spend time with, to rub off on. Okay, so Paul says, man, we have spent the time together. I've said things to you, but then I've rubbed off on you, and you've seen this, and you know that my life matches my words, that my behavior matches my intent. Now, I'm going to imagine that Paul was not perfect. And the reason I can imagine that Paul was not perfect is because he tells us in Romans that he was the chief of sinners. He says, man, I have this problem. I want to do this thing that's right and I don't do it. And he says, I have this other problem. I know this thing that I want to do is wrong, but I do it anyway. And he says, So, so I am this terrible sinner because I don't do the things I know I should, and I do things that I know I shouldn't. But but Paul still then can say, Hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so what Paul is not saying, listen to me, this is so critical for you to get. What Paul is saying is not be perfect. What Paul is saying is be intentional. And when you make a mistake. own it. When you make a mistake, you own it. You confess it. You bring it to the throne of grace, and you give it to God. And you confess with your mouth, and and you believe in your heart that forgiveness is yours, and then you move on. I'm not suggesting that anybody here is perfect, or should strive for perfection. And I'm not suggesting that any of you here are outside the grace of God because your life doesn't match up any more than Paul was outside of the grace of God because his life didn't match up to his teaching. But here's the key. When you screw it up, you say, I have screwed it up, and you repent, and you lean in, and you say, okay, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've made mistakes. I need your grace, and you rely, and you fall on the grace of God so that you can have strength and power to move forward. See, some of you here are in this weird spot. Some of you here in this weird spot where you are living a life that doesn't hold up and you're trusting the grace of God at the same time while neglecting the grace of God. And the grace of God happens, okay, in your life when you turn to Jesus, but the grace of God is experienced on an everyday basis when you trust him. This is this weird thing. I'm not suggesting that any of you like, oh man, you became a genuine Christian. I decided to follow Jesus. I confessed my sins. I believed in my heart. I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I'm following him. And now all of a sudden I'm a Christian and then I get stuck in sin. I'm not saying that your Christianity is taken away from you. I don't believe that one little bit. But what I do believe firmly is that in this moment when you decide to, to break fellowship with Jesus and you are then going to live a lifestyle that doesn't make sense, what happens is this relational experience that you have with the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit is, is grieved in your life and, and becomes quiet in your heart, and you walk away, and that this relationship with God is strained. He, he didn't go anywhere. You did. He's waiting for you. And this is this moment where you have to say, you know what, God? My life doesn't make sense because I moved away from you and I need to confess and I need to repent and I need to come back to you. But if you can't confess and repent and come back, then that relationship will continue to be hurt and strained and broken. And you know what? Paul demonstrates that for Timothy because Paul messed it up all the time. That's why he says, man, I continually do the things I don't want to do and I know better but at the same time, he can say, man, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. It's this confession and this movement. He says, so you know what I teach, you know how I live. And then he says this, you know my purpose. Paul, his purpose was clear. Paul, um, his purpose was to bring people to the throne of grace. As a Christian, can I tell you something? That is your purpose. Whether you knew it or not, If you are here today and you are a Christ follower, your purpose in life is to glorify the God of the universe by bringing people to the throne of grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you exist as a Christian. If you're here today as you're a Christian and you're like, my life just doesn't make sense and I'm not sure I get it, I'm not sure I understand, then it's because you're not living your purpose. Paul lived his purpose. Paul became a Christian. He, he was on the road to Damascus uh, and he was on this road and he had this experience and this, it was this salvific experience with Jesus Christ and he becomes a Christian. And at that point in time, his life purpose changes dramatically. And the only way his life makes sense is if he's living his purpose. If you're here today and your life doesn't make sense and you're a Christian, then I'm going to say probably it's because, one, you you, you maybe have some sin in your life that you're not repenting. You haven't fully embraced Jesus the way that you need to. And also because you're not living the purpose that you're supposed to live. And the purpose that you're supposed to live is to be missional. Now, to be missional, you do not have to be a pastor. To be missional, you do not have to be um, serving overseas somewhere. To be missional, you ought to know your neighbor's names. Let me think about How many of you know your neighbor's names? To be missional, you probably ought to have barbecued with them at least once. To be missional, the people in your office or in the next cubicle or the people that you serve as a rep or whatever it is, they ought to know that you believe and follow Jesus. They ought to know that your life is different. They ought to know that they can talk to you if they need to. That's what it means to be missional. To be missional does not mean that you have to quit your job and leave your family and, and do something drastic. To be missional means that you have to live every day like Jesus is Lord, and you want other people to know it. It's simple. And that's Paul's purpose, and he says, you know my purpose. You know what the purpose of my life is. I've showed you. In fact, Timothy's in a weird position that he met Paul because Paul was living out his purpose. He says, you know my faith. Go back. We read this at the beginning of this series in uh, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. You know what Timothy's, or what Paul's faith is? Paul's faith is this. I know the one I've trusted. I know in whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until the day of his return. And so what Paul has said is, this is my faith. I can pour myself out completely trusting that Jesus has got my back. Every time you think the Christian faith costs you something, and you're right, it does cost you something. Every time you think it costs you something, then you could take a lesson from Paul. Imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And what Paul knew is that it's okay if it costs him something because everything that it costs him, everything that he's paying into it, turning the other cheek, giving generously, sacrificing momentary pleasure for eternal joy. Every time he gives something, every time he sacrifices something, it's not gone. It doesn't disappear, but Christ is holding it in an account for Paul, and Paul knows it. That's his faith. He says, I know whom I've believed in. It's Jesus, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep everything that I've entrusted to him, every good, every decision, my soul, and everything that comes from it. He is holding it until the day of his return, for my credit. And that's his faith. He can give everything he's got because of his faith. He says, my patience. Paul says, you know my patience. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are really good at being patient? Probably not many. I see some of you are like, no. Like, okay, I say you don't have to raise your hand. I mean, if you nod, people will know. We're not patient. In a give it to me right now, I want it right now culture, the attitude of the world, like, I mean, that is, listen to me, do you know how mad I got the other day in the drive-thru at McDonald's? All I wanted was a cup of coffee. All I wanted was a cup of coffee. And I had to wait six minutes, I know, because I looked at the clock and I was annoyed. And I'm like, Having this, and, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give myself grace that it was an internal struggle, but it wasn't. I was I, I, saying these things out loud. There's just nobody in the car with me. I'm like, I don't know what they ordered, but why can't they pull up? Why can't they pull I just want coffee. It's not like they had to make... Pour it in the cup. Six minutes is how long I waited for coffee, and you would have thought somebody was murdering me. And I get up to the window and the lady says, I'm sorry about your weight, and I say, I said nothing. I was nasty. I'll just be honest with you. I was nasty. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm sorry too. But, but tell me, tell me again, like, like how is that me... Being missional, and, and I'll, i I you know I if I see her again I'll confess it to her, um and and I'll apologize to her. But but this is one of those moments. I I I can't claim to be perfect here. But but here's the deal. It's like I am so impatient over coffee. You can only imagine. About other areas of my life. And Paul's not talking about coffee here. When Paul says, you know my patience, what Paul is saying is, you know that I don't have to have everything now, that I can sacrifice. This goes back to 1 Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 1.12. I know who I believed in, and I'm persuaded he can hold it to my account until the day has returned. And that's going to be later, and it's going to be okay, because I can be patient. Listen, you want an antidote? You want an antidote for seeking pleasure first? For seeking pleasure more than you love God. It was one of the markers Timothy shared, or Paul shared with us last week, that people seek pleasure more than they love God. You want an antidote for that? It's to grow in your patience. Because when you can wait, when you can push back your need to have something right this minute, when you can wait for pleasure, you can grow in godliness. It's one of the things that that I have said to my kids often, uh, probably more often than they need to hear, or or maybe it's just the right amount, I'm not sure, but um, is, is that, you know what, as they grow up, I don't want them to play house. See, Carrie and I, you know this, Carrie and I made all kinds of mistakes in our relationship prior to our marriage, prior to God getting a hold of us and and convicting us. But but what happens is is we get so impatient that we're like, well, we wanna skip ahead. We wanna do all of these things before it's time. And so we played house, we moved in together and we acted like we were married well before we were married and we did all these things. And you know what, It, it ended up costing us. And it cost us because we weren't doing it right and we were being impatient. It wasn't that we didn't love God. We loved God. It's that we loved pleasure more. And so we engaged in in this pleasure-seeking at the expense of loving God. And it costs. And it always costs. And so Paul says, you know my patience. You know my patience. And it's real and it matters. And he keeps going. He says, "You, you know my love And Paul's love is the love that has him traveling around city to city, being stoned, being persecuted, being beat with rods, being shipwrecked, being abandoned, um, being drug outside the city, and they throw rocks at him until he's dead, and he gets up and he walks back in the city. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached because Paul loves people to the end of himself because God is worth it. And he doesn't give up. You know his endurance. He says, you know my endurance. I don't give up. I keep going. And quitting is habit-forming, the more you quit, the more you get in the habit of quitting. Quitting is habit forming. And Paul says, I don't quit. I continue. I persevere. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. Paul says, uh, the, the thing I love about Paul, there's a lot of things I love about Paul, but Paul does not sugarcoat it. Paul doesn't soft sell it. There's no here, there's no place where Paul says, hey guys, you know what? The Christian life is going to be easy. It's no problem. Man, all you got to do is ask for stuff and God will give you a new car. And if you pray hard enough, um, God will give you a good job. And if you get sick, God will heal your disease. No, no questions asked. Um, there is that prosperity gospel that kind of reigns supreme in this world we live in. Um, and, and there is some reality to the fact that when we pray expectantly, God gives blessings. There is not something to the fact that when I pray expectantly, God will give me material things just because I want them would seem to be the opposite of patience. Okay, But he doesn't sugarcoat it. But here's the other thing about it. He doesn't whine either. He doesn't Eeyore it either. He doesn't tell you, oh, this is the worst decision I've ever made. It's going to be terrible. I don't know why I ever decided to follow Jesus. No. He just tells you what it is. I mean he says, You know my persecution. You know the suffering I've endured. But I wouldn't trade it. Paul says, I wouldn't trade it. And he says, You know how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And those are the places I talked about where he was beaten and arrested and thrown in jail. And they threw rocks at him and they drug him outside the city and they tried to kill him. Where they they rioted and, and tried to, to behead him, and he had to say, Oh, time out, time out. You know what? I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that. And, and then they, they came and they took him to jail as an alternative. I mean, there's all of these things that happen. And Paul says, man, you know my persecutions, but they were worth it. And you know how the Lord delivered me from all of it, because God ultimately is the rescuer. Some of you here need to understand that about God more than anything else today, is that, that Jesus Christ is your rescuer you find yourself in a place that feels too much, that the anxiety is too much, the pressure is too much, it feels too much, that Jesus is your rescuer. And so Paul says, man, Timothy, on top of all of this, you need to know that Jesus has rescued me, and he will continue to rescue me. And sometimes the persecution, um, because Jesus rescues us, we will be triumphant over it. Sometimes it won't happen in the moment, it'll happen later. Ultimately, all of us will be rescued as Christians. If we have chosen to follow Jesus, we will be rescued on that day when death has lost its sting. There are many times we'll be rescued in this temporary life, but ultimately, if you are following Jesus, there is a day when death will happen, what's called the first death, but because death has lost its sting through the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead, the second death won't happen to you. Ultimately, there will be rescue for those that rest in and follow Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons why we stress so much about the gospel, why we preach so much about the gospel, because this is such a big deal. Listen, hell is real. And and if you are not following Jesus, if you are not actively engaged in Jesus, then what happens is the second death becomes a reality for you. The The first death is a reality for all of us. Nobody gets out of this life alive. Nobody gets out alive. We are all eventually going to die. But there's a point where at that moment that we are rescued, if we have believed and trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are rescued from the second death and we have eternity with Christ in heaven and it is going to be awesome. But if we do not know Christ, then we suffer the second death and that's what hell is and it's real and it's heartbreaking and you got to know and this is why we're on mission. And Paul says, that's what my life is about. You know my teaching, you know my faith, you know my purpose, you know my life, you know all of it, you know my love, you know how I suffer persecution, but it's worth it. Why? Because the Lord rescues. Oh, okay, we're going to finish up here, and he says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others, and they themselves will be deceived. There's something I need you to know. Um, and it's times like this. So if you're young here, I especially need you to know this. Travis is down in the nursery with his mom today, with Carrie, and I kind of wish he was up here. So um, somebody that's his age, you can tell him about this later. Um, And Aubrey is homesick with a cold, and so I kind of, somebody her age, tell her later too. Um, But here's what you need to know. Everybody needs to understand this, especially if you're younger. Oftentimes Christian, and the Bible tells us this is true, here's what happens. It's going to look like you're wrong. you are right, because the Bible is true, and this is God's word, and it's real, but in this world we live in, because the current is going this way, and Satan is dictating this, what's going to happen is, it is going to look like we are wrong. That's what this tells you. It tells you everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters, man, they're going to flourish. It's going to look like we're wrong and it's going to look like they're right because in our human mind and this is what Satan does, we tend to associate. This is everything Paul has been telling Timothy, guard against this truth. We tend to associate that when it gets hard, that that means it's not worth it. It means it must be wrong. But when it's easy and we go along and we flourish, then there must be something right about that. I'll go back to I'll go back to my mistakes with my wife. Way back when, we made decisions to, to play house together and do things because we couldn't be patient. And I'm going to be honest with you. At that moment, it was easy. It was really easy. You know what? It cost us a lot less because we were sharing an apartment, right? Um, we, were, we were together all the time anyway, so we, we saved on groceries. And because we were sharing, we could just eat there. We didn't have to go out. all the day. It was cheaper. Everything seemed to be easy. It flourished, It seemed like it was right, but eventually we got caught, right? Eventually the pressure mounted, and it happened after we got married. Um, the, the pressure mounted and things got hard, but, but there's going to be a point in time where it's going to look like choosing to live a godly life is wrong because it's hard. But here's what, here's what Paul says. Paul says, no, 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 no. Eventually, though, that gets found out. Because not only are they deceiving others, but they're also deceiving themselves, and eventually it will get found out. But here's just this basic truth. I need you to know this. Sometimes when you're trying to live the Christian life, it's going to look like you're wrong. It's going to look an awful lot like you're the ones that have it wrong. It's going to look an awful lot like you're the, because when you say hell is real, it's going to look an awful lot like you're the one that hates. Because when you say sin is wrong and we shouldn't engage in it and we shouldn't be okay with it, it's going to look like you're the one with a bad attitude who doesn't like people. When you say that hell is real and and that God is on the throne and that there is only one way to get to God, it's going to look like you're the bigot, narrow-minded one, it's going to look like you're the one who, who has just this narrow worldview that won't accept other people that you're hard to get along with. It's going to look like we have it wrong, okay? We're going to be persecuted while, while the wrong teaching will flourish. But even then, you have to fight for truth. And I'm going to tell you why you have to fight for truth. You have to fight for truth because ultimately, Christ will have his way. It's this last thing here, right? At its core, false doctrine is demonic. And so it makes sense that evil people flourish. I told you that a couple of weeks ago. At its core, false doctrine, false teaching is demonic. And what happens is, of course, it makes sense that those people flourish because Satan is not messing with them. If anything, if they're teaching something false or if they're doing something false, Satan is encouraging them that should make sense to you, right? When you try to live a Christian life, when you try to teach other, when Paul tries to teach others about Christ and tries to bring them the gospel, Satan does everything he can to stop him. There are shipwrecks, and there are beatings, and there are imprisonments, and there are stonings, and and Satan is trying everything he can to get Paul to stop it. But when you are teaching something false Or when you are living something false, Satan is going to make your life as easy as possible. He's going to leave you alone, or perhaps he's even going to help you along. And he's going to do that because he doesn't care about your life when you're doing it wrong. And he doesn't care. He's not scared of your teaching when you're teaching it wrong. In fact, he wants more of it. So remember, at its core, everything false, even if it's well-intentioned, is demonic, and Satan will encourage it, and when you try to live truth, he will put it down. Okay? All right, but you know, this this is where we'll end, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. What happened there? I got lost. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. These last few verses just say this. Here's what they tell you. He starts in in, in 14 by saying, so Timothy, you can trust the people who've taught you. Eventually you have to decide who to trust." I mean, that's just a true statement. Eventually, you're going to have to decide who to trust. Everybody's going to tell you something. You have to decide who to trust. Paul says, Timothy, you can trust the people that taught you. And then in 15, he says, and you can trust them because they taught you scripture. You can trust the people that taught you. You can trust them because they taught you scripture. And then in these last two verses, and here's what scripture is. Scripture is a God-breathed words for you. Scripture is the word of God, the will of God breathed out into this living document for you, and it is useful to teach you, and it is useful to correct you, and it is useful to grow you up in the way that you should go. This word of God is useful for you. And and that's why this is a dividing line for us with other churches. I said, we're, we're going to play um, on the 19th. We're going to have this, this moment uh, where we come together for praise and worship and prayer for back to school for our kids and our staff and our, our principals and teachers. Why? Because they, it matters. But the churches that we've invited to join us are churches that would look at this. And there's other churches, but, but these four that we specifically are partnering together, we are confident to partner together because they will look at this and they will say, this is the word of God. This is inspired by God and it's useful to teach what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives and to grow us up and equip us. That's why we partner with them because this is the word of God. And so Paul says this, trust the people that taught you because they taught you the scriptures and the scriptures are everything that is good and right. They are God breathed. Now we have a podcast. Vince and I will do a podcast this week. And as we podcast this week, we'll be talking about why we trust the scripture so much. Not just because God says so, but because not only does God say, or does the scripture tell us that these are God's word, but also because it's been backed up, it's been shown. And we are going to be able to talk about that this week at podcast. So if you're curious about why we are so confident in this, tune into the B-side and we'll deal with that, okay? But that's where we land today, okay? And we've gone through this whole process of saying that You need to pick. You need to choose. You can't have it both ways. You can't claim Christ but not live Christ. Okay? Paul says, Follow my example as I follow Christ. And he's poured himself out and he showed you everything that you need to know about his life, his faith, his teaching, everything. And he says, Follow me. He says, You can follow me because I follow scripture. Guys, it's not complicated but it's not easy. So as we go to communion today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to decide. For some of you, it's an easy decision. You've already made it. Your decision is, I am all in. I am following Jesus. So as you come and get communion, you'll take the bread, you'll take the cup, and and you'll go sit back down in your seat, and as you wait, because we're going to take communion all together this morning, so you'll get the bread, and you'll get the cup, and you'll go sit back down, and, and as you're sitting there, um, your prayer will simply be this. God, I am in on you. Thank you. Show me how to go. Show me how to be. Show me where to live, and, and that's your prayer. Some of you, as you come, and you get the bread, and you get the drink, you get the cup, and and you go sit down. Your prayer is simply going to need to be, God, I am broken, and I need to decide to follow you. Some of you are going to have to take the bread and the cup, and you are going to have to spend a moment in confession saying, God, I have tried to live a life that was going both directions, and it doesn't work. And you are going to have to repent of that. You are going to have to confess, Jesus, I know what your word says, and I know I haven't been living it, and so I confess it, and you take communion, and you experience the forgiveness that God has for you. Some of you here may need to take the bread and the cup, and for the first time ever, you may need to say, You know what? I am a sinner who needs salvation. For the first time ever, Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. I give you my sinfulness. I take your righteousness. Help me to live a life to honor you. And maybe it's the first time ever you have to make that decision. Wherever you are today, as you come up and you take communion, uh, and again, I'm going to ask you to take it and then go sit back down, and we will eat it and drink it together. So come and get it. Sit back down. But as you sit back down, I'm going to ask you very specifically to pray. For whatever your next step is. And if your next step is, God, I'm going to continue to be all in with you. Help me to be all in. Show me what it means to be all in. Show me what it means to live missionally. Then that's your prayer. If it's a prayer of confession that says, God, I have been playing this both sides for too long. I'm done. Then pray it. And if it's, God, I need you for the first time ever, then that's your prayer. Okay? So I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, the men to come forward and, and help us prepare to serve communion. Okay? And and as I pray, and then I'll dismiss, and by row, we'll come and we'll take communion together. But again, I'm going to ask you to go sit back down, um, and then we will enjoy it all together um, and spend that time in contemplative prayer. Okay? Heavenly Father God, uh, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you that you are a God who cares for us. We thank you that you have poured yourself out for us. Father, as we come before you today, we, we just thank you so much that you, um, that you looked at us and that you wanted us. Father, you looked at us and you saw our sinfulness and you saw our mistakes and you saw our messiness and our brokenness, brokenness and, and yet still somehow in you, you were compelled to pour love and grace out on us. And so you sent your son so that in his death, as he hung on the cross, that he could pay the penalty for our sinfulness. And in his life, as he burst forth from the grave and was resurrected, that we could be um, recipients of his righteousness, so that death has now lost its sting. And so, Father, as that's the reality for us as Christians here today, that we are, we are living in the grace of God and, and death has lost its sting, God, compel us to live honorably to live that truth out in our life, to stop riding the fence, to stop struggling with the Christian life when our purpose comes when we embrace it, to stop seeking pleasure more than we seek the love of God. Father, help us to live well as we celebrate communion today. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And thank you for the blood that was poured out as the sign of the new covenant that ushers us in to your kingdom. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.